0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Luke and chapter number 8. Luke in chapter number 8, and we are continuing in our series, Encountering Christ. And uh, this morning, I just want to ask you, as we kind of get going, as you find your place in Luke 8, we'll be there in just a minute, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had to or tried to convince somebody of something? You ever tried to convince somebody of something? Maybe you try to convince someone they need to try this certain food, or or convince them that they should start drinking coffee, or you convince them of some decision. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something? I'm I'm sure you have. All of us have tried to convince somebody, like, hey, this is okay. You can do this. Hey, trust me. Why, Why do we try to convince people of things? Well, we try to convince people of things because we're trying to reassure their doubts. I'm reminded of 2019, men and boys camp out. Some of you guys were there. Men and boys camp out, we were up at Deep Lake, and you can do a lot up there. And I remember on this day, men and boys camp out, the idea was, hey, guys, we're going to go to the lake, and some guys are going to go out on kayaks and all that. Some of us were going to go cliff jumping at the lake. And some of you men might remember this, that we went to Deep Lake and we were there. And, and here's what I had to do. I find myself and Pastor Rob. We were on the edge of this cliff. And I, I grew up in Tacoma, jumping the docks and all of that into the ocean. And so I'm looking at this. And the, the first jump we did was a 15-foot a, a jump. Just 15 feet. That's it. That's nothing. That's child's play. The other one was 54 feet. That, too, is child's play. I'm I'm kidding, but here we are. We're at this 15-foot cliff, and I remember because Pastor Rob and I walk up, and we're like, all right, you ready? And we look back, and I'm not exaggerating, to see grown men going, no, no, I don't, I don't think I could do it. I, I just, and I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not going to tell you who because I don't want to embarrass them. They're going, no, no, there, there, ain't, there ain't no way. There ain't no way I'm jumping off this and Pastor Rob's there, and he's like, guys, it's, it's fun. Watch, and he jumps, comes back up. They're like, I don't care. I'm not doing it. I'm like, guys, watch. I go, and I do it. Come back up, and these men are still standing there, and I'm like, listen, it's 15 feet. Like, like if it was your team, you would jump from the bleachers to go meet your team, you know, the, to win victory onto the field or whatever. Like, it's 15 feet into water, And as I'm doing this, and Pastor Rob and I are convincing people of jumping off this cliff, here comes 10-year-old Micah, my son. He's 14 now. He was 10 then. 10-year-old Micah made his way up there, and 10-year-old Micah walked over, grabbed a life vest, looked at all these men, backed up, and he just ran. And he didn't need convincing or anything. He just jumped off that cliff. And you know what those men were doing then? Well, if a 10-year-old can do it, man, then I... You know what? In life, in life, there are some situations and circumstances it takes a little bit of convincing in our lives. What what is convincing? It is reassuring us of some trust. Hey, you can trust me. Jump off this cliff. It's okay. Look, 10-year-old Micah can do this hey, you can do it too. You know what we need sometimes to help convince us? We need someone who's done it to show us it's okay. As we continue in our study in the book of Luke in chapter number eight, today what we're going to realize is we're gonna realize some stories that are put before us for the purpose of convincing us of something. Convincing us of one truth, and we're going to keep coming back to this one truth today, and it's kind of an elementary truth, but we're going to be be reminded today of this simple statement, and here's the statement, we have a God that we can trust. Like, that's a simple statement, isn't it? We have a God that we can trust. You think, well, Pastor, man, when I come to church, I want something deep. You know what we need sometimes is we are like the grown men standing on the cliff. Like, I know that I can trust God, and I know that what God says is true, but God, I just don't know. And today, what we're going to read before us is the story of not a 10-year-old, but somebody just jumping off the cliff and saying, I trust him completely. And today, we're going to learn some lessons about some ways that we can trust God, because through this message, I just want each of us to be convinced of the statement. We have a God that we can trust. Luke chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. Let's stand together. We're going to read a few verses. You don't need to read out loud. I'll read. You can just follow along. They'll be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 40, we read these words. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, returned from where? Well, he's returned from Gadara. We'll see that in just a minute. As he was returned into Capernaum from Gadara, that the people, the people of Capernaum, they gladly received him because they were all waiting for him. And behold, in that moment, there uh, came a man named Jairus. Now Jairus, Luke tells us, he was a ruler of the synagogue of Capernaum. So he is one that would lead in the, the worship and all the, that would take place at the synagogue in Capernaum. And he came in that moment. He fell down at Jesus' feet. And what did he do? He, he begged Jesus that Jesus would come to his house. Why? Because he had only one daughter who was about 12 years of age, and she laid dying. But as he, Jesus, went, was on the way to the house, the people thronged him or surrounded him. And a woman having an issue of blood for 12 years, she had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. In that moment, she came behind Jesus and she touched the the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood stanched or was stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the the multitude throng thee or surround you and press against you. and, And you ask, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody has touched me, for I perceived, I know that virtue or great power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she saw that Jesus knew. In that moment, she came trembling and falling down before him and she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately and he said unto her daughter be of good comfort thy faith hath made thee whole go in peace and while he yet spake there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying unto him to jesus or to uh, to uh, Jairus Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered the servant and said to Jairus, Fear not. Believe only and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered or allowed no man to go in except for Peter and James and John and the father, Jairus, and the mother of the young girl, the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he, Jesus, said, Weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, to the point of mocking him, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, put them out of the room, and took the young lady by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat, and her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. This morning, we are coming to the story of two stories of a few people. And while we could learn many things from this, the simple point that I just want to bring out from all of the passage before us today is the fact that we really do have a God we can trust. And we're gonna discern this morning from this passage certain things that we can trust God in and trust God for. But the title of the message today is, Are You Convinced? And my my prayer would be today that before the message ends and before we leave, that you in your own heart would say, God, I'm convinced. God, I'm not gonna stand in doubt before I jump. God, I know. I know that I have a God that I can trust. So let's pray. And let's get into the passage before us today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you take a minute and just in your own heart, would you ask God to speak to your heart today? God, convince me that I can trust you. Show me today, God, that I can trust you. And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen to you. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you use it in each of our lives. I pray, Father, that today as we go through this story, God, I pray that you would use these stories to show us the truth that you are unchanging and that you can still be trusted. And Father, I thank you for how you have helped me this week as I've studied and prepared, Lord, the way that you have challenged my heart And God, I pray that you would do that in each of us in these next few moments together. I also pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you alone. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're going to be seated. We read last week, and Pastor Micah was here and helped us with a great message about the Maniac of Gadara. And how God, how Jesus traveled over and healed the maniac of Gadara in the area of Decapolis or 10 cities that would sit on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. As we enter into our passage this morning in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 40, we find Jesus traveling or returning back to Capernaum. Capernaum would be in that northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. This kind of is an overview from Mount Arbel looking in the Sea of Galilee. And if you were to look just kind of right here to that northwest corner is where Capernaum would be. Jesus comes back into the city of Capernaum and the Bible tells us that as he enters into the streets of Capernaum or the area of Capernaum, that people begin to receive him. They have already heard about him. If you did some research, you would find that much of the earthly ministry of Jesus would take place in Capernaum. Jesus would preach the most at the synagogue of Capernaum. Jesus would do uh, many of the miracles in the city of Capernaum. And so much of his ministry would revolve around this city of Capernaum. And so Jesus, his popularity has now spread. We are probably in about a year and 10 months or two years into the ministry of Christ. He's healed. He's taught. He's done some great things. So as he comes back on this day, people surround him. The Bible tells us that they were ready to receive him. One of those those individuals that was there that came to him on this day is a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, he would help lead all that would take place at the synagogue. I believe, no doubt, that Jairus was already a believer in Jesus. He was already believing that Jesus was the Messiah. But on this day, he has a specific request. You see, his daughter, who's 12 years old, Uh, Luke writes she lay a dying Matthew actually says that that when Jairus comes he says basically to Jesus my daughter is probably already dead that's how severe of a situation it is my daughter is on her deathbed so Jairus comes to Jesus and he says hey Lord would you come to my home and would you heal my daughter And the text would lead us to believe that Jesus says yes. So he begins to go to the house. As we go through this this morning, I just want to stop and bring out some lessons that we can learn about trust from Jairus and from this woman with the issue of blood. The first lesson that I learned that I was challenged with, and again, this isn't a main thought of the text, it's just a a quick point, is the fact that I can trust God with those closest to me. I can trust God with those closest to me. You know what Jairus does in this situation? Jairus has a circumstance in his home that is completely out of his control. But who does he turn to? He turns to Jesus. I find this convicting, and here's why. I don't know if you do this, I imagine you probably do. You know what I try to do sometimes in my family? I try to play God. Do you know what I mean, trying to play God? I try to be in control. I try to be the one that has the answers. I try to be the one that can fix everything. I try to be the one to say, hey, here's... now." Now, mind you, every every family in here should we every parent in here should we want to train our children and direct them towards the Lord? Yes, should we want to dedicate ourselves to say, God, we're serious about this. Yes, but the fact of the matter is, there are going to be some situations in your life, and some circumstances in your marriage, and some uh, things in with your children and your grandchildren that you have to say, God, I I can't. I don't know what to do. God, here's my situation. You know what I find Jairus doing? I find Jairus in this moment coming to the Lord in a hopeless place with his daughter, and here's what he says. Lord, I can't, but I know you can. You know what Jairus is doing? He is trusting God with those closest to him, and I just want to tell you this morning that in our life, if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, We allow the circumstances of our family situations to stress, worry, and cause us to try to be the controller in a situation. And you know what God is wanting to do sometimes? God is wanting you and I, through a family situation, to just step back and say, God, I don't know what to do here, and so God, I trust you. And so we, like the author of Hebrews, can just simply say, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. What is this? What is he saying? He's just saying the writer of Hebrews saying, I choose to put my trust in him and I choose to lead my family to do the same. Hey, dad, you want to know one of the best things for you to do? I was thinking about this this morning as we were singing. One of the best things for every dad and grandpa in here, one of the best things for you to do is to choose every week to show your family, I trust God. You know what we like to do? We like to control our situation and in the name of protecting our family, we never tell our family when things are tough. We never tell our family when something's going on that maybe is, we're struggling with. And here's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll bring up my family and our situation. Man, over the last few years, and many of you know it, we've been just through a lot that has taken place. You know, I realized going through some of those situations, here's what my kids needed to hear from me. Hey, guys, it's okay to be struggling right now. Hey, guys, it's okay to be frustrated and not know what's going on, but we're gonna choose to trust God. Why? In this family situation, we don't know. In this death, we don't know what to do, but we have a God we can trust. I'm reminded of a verse my wife and I were talking about this week. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 11. It says this, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world, or the world to come, eternity in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to the end. What what is the author of Ecclesiastes saying? He's saying, hey, you can know that God is always working, and things will turn out in a beautiful way. Eternity is right around the corner, and right now you may not understand it, but you have a God you can trust through it. Hey, I'm reminded as I come to these pages and as I come to this first part of the story about Jairus that I truly can trust him. I can trust God with those closest to us. Well, Jairus on this day, he bese- beseeches, begs the Lord, come to my house. Jesus turns, follow the story. Jesus turns, he's walking now to the house with Jairus. And the Bible says that in that moment, the press of people increases, Now there's more and more people gathering around Jesus. Now they're pressing against him. You ever been somewhere that's just extremely packed with people? Some of you are like, that's why I like the 830 service better than the 1030, you know? (laughs) My wife and I said, I I believe this. I think the 830 service is introverts and people who just want to get done early. You know what? We've all been around people. You go you ever been to like a theme park or a a stadium filled with people? A few years ago, we went to Disneyland and we went on graduates day. Yeah. Don't ever go to Disneyland on graduates day. All of the local schools for one day, they dismiss all of their graduating seniors to Disneyland in Southern California. Now, I'm not talking about a class of like 100, like literally, you know, probably 30 or 40 schools and graduating classes of 500 to 1,000. Like it wasn't packed. It was miserable. And if you know me, when I go to Disneyland, if I'm spending money to be at Disneyland, we are not taking a break. We are hitting every ride and we are getting our money's worth that day frustrated me so much. You wouldn't know why? Because I'm walking through crowds and I was like, all right. I I said, Dennis, grab my shirt. You know, Dennis probably at that time, I think it's 2018 is this time. And so Dennis is grabbing my shirt, you know, little 12-year-old Dennis and right behind him is 11-year-old Lena and right behind them is nine-year-old Micah just holding my shirt and Hannah's at the very end and I'm just cruising through people. And you ask my wife, I mean, it drives her nuts sometimes because I'm walking through people and she is like, slow down. I'm like, we paid money to be here, you know, <laughs> going through and you know what I come to every now and then? I would come to people like stopped in, Now, if you are one of these people, I offer counseling for this. I'm just saying <laughs> they're stopped in the path talking. I did not come to Disneyland to talk. We, we travel in a car together to talk. Like, you need to go somewhere else to talk. They have restaurants. Don't talk in the past. And you're there, and they're just talking. Well, number one, I'm a Christian. Number two, I'm a pastor. So those two things come up in my mind, because the third part of me, which is just the guy that wants to get somewhere, I want to be like, hey, quit talking and get out of my way. But I don't. I stop politely and God says, hey, slow down. And I'm like, all right, Lord, but that ride, I gotta get there, I gotta get there. And you know what, being around people, you've been there and crowded, that's, what takes, that's, that's what's taking place with Jesus on this day. He's in this multitude of people. And in that multitude, there's, there's one lady. This lady, she has struggled with, the Bible tells it, in an issue of blood. We won't get into it this morning, but she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. It's a, it's a blood clot issue that the blood won't clot, won't stop. And this woman, no doubt, she, if you go and you know Levitical law, she can't be in public places. She's not supposed to be around people. So this woman in that moment, she, she no doubt is covered up and, and perhaps, perhaps crunched over so people wouldn't notice her. Maybe, maybe even crawling on the ground. And, and as Jesus is slowly moving through the, the multitude and as Jairus is at his side, we find this woman. She comes and she begins to think within herself i've heard of this man maybe maybe he can help me and this woman says if he is who he says he is i know he can help me and in her moment of faith she she says to herself i'm not even going to talk to him i'm not going to talk to him i'm not going to i'm not going to get his attention Here's what she does. Matthew records it this way. She says this: "If I could simply just touch the hem of his garment, what is that? If I, if I could get close enough to just touch his robe, she gets through all the people. She touches his robe, and in that moment, she's healed. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And Peter and the disciples, what are you talking about, Jesus? There are people all around you. And, and he said, no, 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 virtue, great power went out from me. I know somebody touched me. And she knows she's caught, so to speak. And she speaks up and says, Lord, it was me. I've been dealing with this issue of blood for 12 years. And I thought if I could just get close to you. And I did. And you healed me. As I reflect on this story, I can't help but find myself in Jairus' position. Oh, we look at the miracle of Jesus healing the woman, and we'll see that in just a minute. But where was Jesus going? He was going to the house of Jairus. And this situation, it's stopping. Now, we read this in a few seconds, but we have to know probably 20 to 30, 45 minutes is in just these few verses. And you, don't want to know the, you want to know the lesson that I learned in this? Is this simple statement, I can trust Jesus, I can trust him in spite of interruptions. You see, what, put, put yourself in Jairus' thinking. What could Jairus be thinking? He could be thinking, man, does he not know? Jairus could be thinking, we don't have time for this. Jairus could be thinking, this is not how things are supposed to go. My daughter is dying. Who cares about this woman? Who cares about these people? Hey, Jesus, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? But I don't believe Jairus had that attitude at all because we don't, number one, we don't read in the text what Jairus was thinking. Number two, we read later that Jesus says to Jairus, hey, just keep trusting. You've been trusting. Keep trusting. You know what I learned when I look at this? I learned that I can trust Him in spite of interruptions. Let me just ask you this question. The question I want to give to you today when your plans are interrupted, when your plans are interrupted, do you continue to trust God? How many of you have learned and figured out by now that God doesn't work by your script? (laughs) That stinks. I should be honest. I mean, if I was God, I'd probably do some things differently. But I'm not God. And in your life and my life, there are interruptions that come up. Can I help you, and help you and help me this morning? When interruptions come up, you can keep trusting him. I can just keep trusting him. I can trust him in spite of interruptions. This is why the psalmist said these words, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted or restless within me? Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. What is that? Hey, his face, his face is toward me. God is looking at me. Hey, listen, listen, God sees your situation. And that interruption, Jesus knew what was taking place. Jesus knew about the interruption. Jesus knew. And and yet what we find here is Jairus continuing to trust can I just help you and help me to understand this morning, we with the psalmist can say, why are you cast down soul? Why are you discouraged? And why are you restless? Hope in God. Why? His face is still toward you. Lesson number three. I learned from the woman with the issue of blood, and that is this, and I can trust God over man-made solutions. (laughs) I can trust him over man-made solutions. We read in these verses that this woman, she is literally spent her life savings to be healed of this infirmity. She has sought every help from every outlet that she could. But here's what I love. She has so much belief. Listen, she has so much belief in Jesus, she doesn't even desire to speak to him. That is mind-blowing to me. Think about it. It's mind-blowing that that she doesn't like get in front of him and say like, hey, would you heal me? No, you know what her faith, and some people would look at this passage, they would say, well, she's turning to Jesus as the last resort. No, 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 no. She hasn't heard about it. He's only been around for a year and a half. She's had this disease for 12 years. She's been dealing with this for a long time, You know, I feel like she's done. I feel like she comes to the place where she says, you know what, I've tried what everybody else has told me to, but this man, this man has miracle working power. This man is somebody that I can believe. I don't even, you know what, I I don't even need to talk to him. I bet you if I just get close enough to him that he'll work in my life. And she believed that Jesus is capable of healing her by simply getting close to him. She knows that he is capable. And so her belief is demonstrated in action. And I find it so convicting and challenging this morning that her faith was at such a healthy place. Listen, she believed that there was power even in just the presence of God, not not in even him speaking or acknowledging her. She realized, like, if I just get around him, You know what we need sometimes to a fault? We sometimes want explainable miracles. Right? I mean, that's what skeptics do. The Red Sea, oh, well, you know, I mean, it was damp, and they went over on a little sandbar across the thing. Let's explain it away. And we look at that and we say, man, how dare they explain away some miracle? You know what we try to do? We try to explain away miracles in our life. And every day, God works miracles in your life and my life that when we get to heaven, I think we're going to look back and we're going to be ashamed at all that God has done in our life. Here's what I want us to simply understand there doesn't always need to be an explanation. You can trust him over man-made solutions. Man, we try to come up with reasons and things and situations and explanations. And you know what the psalmist said? The psalmist said this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Hey, people will fail you. God will never fail you. Well, Jesus, in this moment, he heals this woman. The conversation comes and she presents herself to say, hey, you worked a miracle in my life. I've had this for 12 years and, and you dealt with it and you healed me. And as she wraps up speaking, we read that a servant comes from Jairus's house. Now stay with the story and let's put ourselves into it. Don't just, don't just graze over the Bible passages before us. Put yourself in it here's what we read. A servant comes. And a servant says to Jairus, Hey, um, don't, don't bother the master. Uh, your daughter's gone. Now we read this and, and we know the next verse that Jesus says, Hey, just believe. I'll take care of it. But Jairus didn't know that in that moment. And I can tell you, and some of you in here, you have been through this, and, and I'm not at all trying to highlight some heartache in your life, but I do want to connect it. I remember watching as my mom and dad, when my brother died in 1989, I was just a six-year-old boy, and I remember watching as my parents in that hospital, I remember sitting, I can still close my eyes, and I can see the clock on the wall, and I can see the waiting room, and I can see my parents out through the, the hallway as the doctor walked up to them and, and told them that they're son would never breathe again. And I remember watching that grief-stricken mother and husband and father His shoulders drop. And those of you that know my dad, six foot five and some odd pounds. And his shoulders just drop and they both begin to weep. I put myself in Jairus's situation. What do you say? He just begins to cry. He's weeping. This is now a situation that has gone from something that is possible to now the impossible. See, when he came to Jesus, there was hope. There was still breath in her life. I, he's worked miracles. I've seen him heal people. He can heal my daughter. But now, in this moment, it's hopeless, he's destitute. And Jesus says to him, don't be overtaken in fear. Just, just keep trusting. Keep trusting. She'll be made whole. Jairus, don't let your faith waver. One of the lessons I learned here is this simple principle that I can trust God for the impossible. You want to know what I see as I look at these pages? And as I've, I've been helped with this this week, when I look at this, here's what I find Jesus saying. Hey, the situation has changed, but my power hasn't changed. Hey, your situation has changed, but the God of the situation hasn't changed. And I am reminded of this principle every single time that I come up and preach from this platform. Listen up here, listen, look. I'm reminded every time I come because I look back there and I see a thermometer. You say, Oh, Pastor, what's the thermometer? That's for building. And I remember five years ago praying about our new building and praying about property and I remember sitting in a car at our new property before it was our new property saying to our friend Jason, there is no way we could get this property. Only to have 18 months later us pay cash for property. God did that. And now I'm looking and I'm sitting back and and like you, I sit and I think, what's going on with our building fund? I thought, Dennis's timeline, we should already have $5 million in half of a building. <laughs> like, that's my timeline. But God doesn't work in my timeline. And when I look at this situation, do you know what I see? Impossible. But can I tell you that even though the situations change, the Savior never does. Even though the circumstances are different, the Christ who is in control never is different. He is always the same. Hey, he says to Jairus, my power hasn't changed. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter number 10 when it says this, that he says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Hey, my friend, can I ask you a question this morning? What situation in your life have you been saying, God, that is impossible? God, this marriage, it's impossible. God, that kid, it's impossible. God, this work situation, impossible. Now again, let me remind you, there are some situations that go a different way than what we plan. But even then, God is still trustworthy. I think of Luke chapter 8, And our story, as it continues, that Jesus and Jairus, they make their way to the house. And as they get to their house, and Jairus is still trusting, his daughter's dead now. The emotion is still there. He walks in, and all the people are weeping. And Jesus walks in the midst of all these people, and he goes, hey, stop it. Those are two great counseling words, just so everybody knows. He walks in and he says, quit crying. The wailers are there. Who are the wailers? The mourners and wailers. They're professionals that they would be paid to grieve the loss of a loved one. They're already at the house. That means that in this situation, it has been expected. Hey, there is going to be weeping and wailing today at that house because the young girl is going to die. Start heading that way. And so Jesus walks in the midst and he looks at these people and he says to them, quit it. Quit crying, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And Luke 853 says this. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. <clears throat> that phrase laughed him to scorn, it means that they laughed to the point of mocking him. You know what they're doing? <laughs> this guy. This guy's an idiot. I, I can't believe, I mean, she's dead. Did you hear what he said? Did you, I mean, you, you're a moron, you, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. And they begin to mock, oh yeah she's, yeah, she's just sleeping. The doctors have proclaimed her dead, she's gone. You know what I learned by this is I learned this simple thought that I can trust him even when others don't. you know what, in your life and in my life, sometimes your situations, listen, sometimes people are going to say, what? God can't do that. God, God won't do that. God isn't going to. You know what you're gonna have to do? You're gonna have to choose that your faith is not going to be impacted and influenced by the faith of others. Now, here's what I mean by that. There are times when we should be encouraged by the faith of others. We, we should do that. But sometimes we are, more, we, we are more quick to be affected by the doubt of others and go, yeah, I guess he can't. Yeah, I guess he won't. Yeah, I guess he's not going to. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Hey, Timothy, listen, situations are gonna come up that you don't understand, but God has given you a spirit of power. He's given you a spirit of uh, of faith. He's given you a spirit of love and of a sound mind. Hey, Timothy, you need to understand that you can trust God even when people around you don't. And in your situation and in my situation, there are going to be times when, yes, we have doubts. But there must be times when we step up to say, God, regardless of what anybody else says or does, I choose to believe you. God, I choose to believe. I know this is impossible, but I choose to believe. God, I choose to trust. I know this is crazy, and I know others are telling me it's nuts, but God, I choose to trust you. Well, Jesus comes into the room. He pushes everybody else out. James, John, Peter, come in with me. Hey, Jairus, Mrs. Jairus, come on in. And I love what Jesus does. He just goes over to the young lady and grabs her hand, and he says, "Made arise. And she gets up. Whew. And here's what Jesus does. Hey, uh, someone get her some food. She's hungry. She just died, came back to life. She needs something to eat. Some of you men are like that in the morning, you know, just passed out, you wake up, I need something to eat. But I want you to notice something. Look at verse number 56. Verse number 56. It says, And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Wait. Wait. What's that say? Jesus looked at them. They're amazed. Their daughter is just raised from the dead. And he said, Hey, uh, don't tell anybody. Now listen, we know from Matthew and Mark's gospel that, uh, that the story got out. W- why? Because she was a dead girl and she walked out of the room. The story's gonna get out. But Jesus says to those present in the room, don't tell them how this happened yet. Now listening to that, it doesn't make sense. They wouldn't understand. Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Jairus, I can imagine saying, hold up. Lord, what? Jesus said, I Don't tell anybody. Well, why don't you want me to tell anybody? It's just not time yet. Well, what do you mean it's not time yet? Well, just trust me. Don't, don't tell anybody yet. Well, Jesus and Peter, you know, open mouth and insert foot Peter. Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm sure, sure we can tell people. Peter, no, don't tell anybody. James is going, Peter, be quiet, man. Be quiet. No, Jesus, you just worked a miracle, right? You see what's going on? And they leave and they say, Okay. All right, we don't understand, but we trust you. Here's the last lesson I learned, and it's this I can trust him even when I don't understand. You know, there's going to be certain circumstances and situations in your life that it doesn't go the way you planned, it gets interrupted, it doesn't happen the way you thought it should have. And you, maybe like Jairus or Peter or James or John, go, Lord, like I do not understand this. And the Lord just says, I know, it's just not time yet, just trust me. I tell you, we can trust him, even in situations we don't understand. I love the testimony of Job. I mean, here's a situation. Job loses everything. What does Job say? Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if death comes, I will still trust him. This is why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, you can be confident of this very thing, that God, who has begun a good work in you, he will perform it. He will complete it. Hey, no matter what comes your way, God is working. Romans 8, 28, we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Hey, listen, what is Paul writing to the believers at Rome and to the believers at Philippi? And why is Job saying, though, I, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? It's them saying, even when there's no explanation and when I don't understand, I still have a God that I can trust. See, the fact of the matter is this. We have a God we can trust. Here's what we do. If you're like me, this is what Dennis does. I read a story like this, Luke chapter eight, and I go, "Man, that'd be amazing." Man, if that, if that Jesus were around today, that'd be awesome. And I almost subconsciously convince myself that we have a different God. My friend, I'm here to tell you this morning, He hasn't changed. The same Jesus that healed Jairus' daughter, he's the same Jesus that wants to work in your life today. The same Jesus that healed the woman with the issue of blood, he's the same Jesus that wants to work in your life this week. The question is, are you convinced that you can trust him?